Does Templeton Marsh, Canada's top auto dealership buy-sell firm, have a crystal ball? No, nobody has one. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the February 2nd, 2024 episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor at Automotive News Canada. My guest this week will tell us how his brand became a leader in Canadian EV sales, why it supports the federal government's ZEV sales mandate, and how and where that mandate still falls short. He'll also explain why he thinks the Canadian auto industry on the whole, is well on its way to recovery post-pandemic. All that and yes, much, much more when we hear from CEO of Hyundai Auto Canada, Don Romano, on this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. Don, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. Uh, Glad to be here, Greg. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to have you back. Let's start with a bit of a recap of 2023 and kind of set the table for 2024. Hyundai Canada sold 122,285 vehicles last year. How do you rate that? It was up a bit, I think about 3%, but how would you rate your year in 2023? I'd rate it fantastic uh, because the numbers don't reflect the demand for the products. So we were um, held back by the port strike. We are the largest trans-Pacific uh, automobile importer in the world. And uh, when you have a, a, a strike at the port and you have a number of issues, we even had floods uh, in Vancouver that also impacted the uh, the port operations. Those, those things happened. And we had to uh, reassign a lot of vehicles down to the U.S. because they were just sitting on boats outside of the port. So if you take into account uh, those issues, I'm, I'm actually quite happy with the way it came out. Uh, and I'm looking forward to even growing further this year. Are we beyond, you mentioned uh, a bottleneck, and there's been tons over the last four years. Are, are we beyond all the bottlenecks now? Is inventory and the flow and the logistics back to normal? Not even close. Really? Still? We, no, no. In fact, uh, I've still got a, a couple of ships that are sitting out in the water right now. But it has nothing to do, at least this time, with the port and everything to do with the uh, the rail carriers not having enough um uh, carriers to to move the the vehicles. It's it's pathetic. It's it's terrible, but uh, it is what it is. I mean, our our country has very limited has a very limited infrastructure to move goods and services across the uh, across the continent. And uh, this this is one of the problems you have when you're you're importing at the level we are, and the demand is so high. So, and, and this is one of the challenges with EVs. But I can tell you, Greg, uh, that's one of the reasons we're going to be building. A new facility. We are building a new facility down in Georgia right now that's going to be producing electric vehicles uh, in North America, and we can rail those directly up from Georgia. So I think it's a temporary problem for us. It's uh, going to be a bigger problem, I think, if we see in the future more vehicles coming uh, from Asia to Canada, because little, if anything, is being done to uh, to address the the poor infrastructure. Have you been lobbying the government to, to make changes to improve that? Or, or what is the path to improvement? Yeah, it's a good question because, you know, you're talking about rail lines. And, and the real the fact of the matter is you're going to have to to improve it. We're going to have to go through Panama, go up to Halifax. Uh, there's a lot of areas that need to be improved in order to, to fix the issue. But I think ultimately the fact that we're going to get a higher percent of our vehicles coming to Canada from North America is going to be the answer because you're just not going to put another rail line in. Uh, we don't, we have a, an oligopoly with our two rail lines here. They're not going to be uh, responsive and it's going to take them time 
to ramp up. Unfortunately, they should have done that five, six years ago. But, uh, you know, those are just the facts that we have to overcome. And so if we didn't have there's problems down in Panama right now with the water levels and trying to get ships through. So we're just going to have to deal with it. We did set up a port uh, down in California that we are currently using and we're looking at a second one right now. So, you know, you get uh, you get lemons, you got to make lemonade. I want to get to EVs. Uh, there's no question about that. But I do want to ask you this. I had Robert Carwell, J.D. Power Canada's senior manager of auto practice, tell me recently that we can no longer compare today's sales to 2019, which, as you know, was the last, you know, quote unquote, normal sales year before COVID-19. He said 2023 should be the new comparator when it comes to inventory, days to turn, pricing, all of that. Have things changed that much in four years that 2023 should be considered the new normal? Do you agree with Robert's assessment in that? No, I don't. I think it's going to take longer than that. I, I think, but but I do agree directionally with him that it's going to be a better year. We're going to see constant improvement. But you also have to take into account the economic factors, right? Higher interest rates. And, uh, you know, now that we're we're finally beginning to get some of the uh, – the issues resolved in terms of some of the distribution, not all of it. I, I think it's a step in the right direction. So I, I agree with them directionally, but I think it's going to take another couple of years to get enough rail cars and to get the logistics completely worked out. We're still seeing, you know, growth. We're still seeing economic improvement. So we just need to be able to accommodate uh, the goods and, and be able to get them across the, the continent. As you know, 80 percent of our sales take place on the east coast where 85 percent of our vehicles come in from the west so we have a particular difficult situation that i i look at it through those glasses um, but i think the more important issue is that you know it's going to take time now with the higher interest rates to see a full recovery to pre-pandemic so i'd give it a couple more years but I think we're on that road and directionally, I would agree that we are going to get there, just not that quickly. I do want to turn to ZEVs, EVs. Hyundai is truly a leader in zero emissions vehicle sales in Canada. It delivered 16,735 vehicles that were either battery electric or hybrid last year, uh, which qualified for the federal rebate under the ISEV program. How did you guys do it? A commitment a long time ago. You know, it was, <clears throat> we... This is something that we recognized uh, two facts, and that is one, that we have a responsibility to do something, and we just did it. We just said, we're going to build them, we're going to make them, we're going to be committed to making them. And, and number two, you know, whether you're a, a climate change denier or you know, a, a GHG denier, you believe the government shouldn't be involved in business, uh, the fact of the matter is we're, we're burning a substance that has a limited uh, capacity. I mean, eventually fossil fuels run out. So the question comes down to when is the right time? Not if, it's just a matter of when. And, and for us, when was about seven years ago, we decided that, hey, this is a viable, uh, a pure BEV is a viable way to transport uh, people throughout our country, and we just need to go forward with it. So we started building. We knew the earlier we got in, the more we would learn and the more we would uh, develop our products to meet the needs of uh, of our customers. And so we just 
we just went forward with it. And we're going to continue, as you know, with the plant and the battery factory down in Georgia. They'll be up and operational, uh, fully operational in 2025. So it's just a matter of making a commitment and saying, hey, we need to do it. Everybody's going to need to do it eventually. Eventually, fossil fuels run out. We, we That's one thing none of us can disagree on. It's indisputable. Eventually, they run out. So the only question is a matter of, of when. And we just took an early uh, position on that and thought, hey, the, the time is now. Let's Let's get busy. How does the automaker's electrification plan um, look in Canada. And I ask this because, you know, we always hear the, the opponents of the federal sales mandate, the, the ZEV sales mandate say, well, Canada only accounts for 2% of global sales. So you're never going to bend the automakers to make changes to satisfy just 2% of sales. So how does Hyundai's electrification plan, uh, pertain to Canada? What is it different? How does Canada affect Hyundai's plan or vice versa? Uh, Canada's, <clears throat> Canada is actually stronger than the U.S. when it comes to EV demand. I think uh, our position, like the position of our federal government and a number of the provincial governments, is uh, that we're, we're all moving forward uh, and that we're going to have zero emission vehicles transporting people throughout our country. And, and so we've seen a faster adoption in Canada where EVs uh, and specifically BEVs, zero emission vehicles, are a higher percent of sales than they are down in the U.S. So it, it's a very important market. It's somewhat of a bell cow for uh, the the company globally. So we look at it, it's, it's considered very important, and that's why we built a plant in North America. And uh, that's where we see the growth. We think, you know, U.S. has quite a bit of divisiveness going on right now, and they've had it for quite some time. So it, it's a little harder for them to overcome some of those issues. Uh, they're doing well in the coastal areas, uh, both on the east and west. But for us, um, you know, you've got Quebec taking the lead. you got BC right behind it. We're seeing Ontario grow. And those are our biggest markets right there. I mean, so that's, that's why Canada is so important. You're on the record of supporting that electric vehicle availability standard, or in layman's terms, the the ZEV sales mandate at the federal level. Uh, 100% of all light duty sales being ZEVs by 2035. You can support it, but I've got to ask, do you think we'll get there? Well, I think, you know, the the crystal ball gets, gets a little foggy after 2030. Okay, so, but I do believe we can get there by 2030. 30. So that's 60%. And, you know, we're, we're now over 10%. Uh, we're going to grow uh, to 15% uh, this year. It's going to continue to move in that direction. I think there's a little hesitation right now by the press, simply because, um, you know, we're seeing higher interest rates. The economies of scale as an industry are not there to bring the, the pricing down, but that's just a matter of time. So, you know, it, the bottom line is we believe that ultimately everybody's going to be driving electric vehicles, whether some of the companies that you know, make cars agree with that or not. It's just, again, a matter of when, not if. And uh, the sooner we get busy with it, the sooner we get the infrastructure, which is critical for that adoption to take place to get to those numbers, the sooner we get that infrastructure in place. And to me, that's the biggest challenge, Greg. 
it's it's not building the vehicles. It's not the, the the cost of the vehicles that will naturally come down with economies of scale. It's all about the infrastructure. And I'll add that you know I while we support the government's vision of where uh, they're taking our country, and we're going to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. I do think they are very optimistic when we look at 2035, given the lack of infrastructure that's being put in place. And if we do not get that infrastructure put in place, uh, then I think the, as the haze clears from the crystal ball, we're going to see that from 2030 to 2035, there's going to have to be further discussions with the government. We'll be right back after this short break. Our competitors will pretend they have a crystal ball. We don't pretend or actually have one. However, the partners that make up the Templeton Marsh team collectively have over 240 years of experience in the retail, wholesale, marketing, and financing side of the Canadian auto business. And buying, selling auto dealerships is all we do. We do not expend time, effort, or energy on peripheral businesses. Between us, we have looked at nearly 200 transactions, successfully batting at nearly 1,000%, closing mandates, and getting more repeat business than our competitors. From whom do we get repeat business and how? We get repeat business because we have the strongest word of mouth presence in the industry. And once we deal with a buyer, they become our friends and clients for life. Additionally, we provide personalized hands-on service and attention to details from the very first cup of coffee or dinner to the post-closing dynamic. We are there for our clients every step of the way. Our partners are absolutely at the top of their respective fields, and our clients notice this fact. What sets us apart? We start by building relationships and delivering results based on integrity, discretion, our knowledge of the business and the market, and by far, the best network of contacts in Canada. Our clients rely on us to be honest and candid, provide them with accurate information based on thorough analysis of their needs and the market. We don't share with our clients what they want to hear, rather what they need to hear. And this honesty, combined with the fact that we do not compromise our principles to secure a mandate, is what actually gets us a mandate. To connect with us, please visit our website at templetonmarsh.com or call us at 416-880-8989. Welcome back to the podcast where we're hearing from Hyundai Auto Canada CEO, Don Romano. Infrastructure was the next thing I wanted to talk to you about because, you know, you, you just repeated what you had said at the time the mandate was was announced just before Christmas, and that was the need for more infrastructure. Does that new availability standard go far enough? And I'm talking about automakers being able to buy their way out of ZEV sales shortfalls by investing in infrastructure. Is that the only solution or what is the solution to more infrastructure? Nobody has okay. said whose responsibility it is to actually build it out? Is it the government, the automakers, or private sector? And the answer is yes to all of those, <laughs> right? So, so I mean, it's it's not. this isn't the field of dreams where customers are going to come out of the cornfields and just start buying cars not knowing how to get them charged, right? I mean, it's going to take a village. We've all got to participate, and we're doing that. But it, it, the, the ZEV mandate does not provide enough support for the manufacturers to carry it on their own. Uh, nor did we have to do that when it came down to uh, combustion engines and, and gas stations. And you have to also consider all the people that have gas stations, that those independent 
business people that are running these businesses and their employees and what we're going to do with with those spots. So uh, bottom line is the government needs to mandate, as they did for us, the infrastructure being put in place at every gas station, at every strip center, at every parking structure, at every new building that's being uh, constructed. Every permit should require an infrastructure being put together to uh, to charge these vehicles. If we do that, if the government were to take that next step and say, yeah, you're not going to be able to build condos without chargers. You're not going to be able to build new homes, which we are building at a rapid pace throughout Ontario right now. We need to put in place these mandates to say, no, everybody's got to participate. And if we do that, when you're on a showroom, which I'm in a lot, <laughs> and customers come in and say, tell me about EVs, and you start explaining, and they kind of stop you and say, no, wait a minute. I mean, how do I get it charged? I, I'm, I'm one of the 10 million Canadians that does not have a garage. Where do I go? Imagine, Greg, if I could say, well, where do you, where do you get gas today? Well, I go to Petro-Canada or Shell. Okay, well, all of them have level three chargers you can use. You know, it changes everything. Some that really, really okay. And and uh, let's take a test drive. And that's what moves this forward. To think that they're just going to buy it, but they don't know where to charge it, is not thinking through the problem completely. And I think we need to have those discussions, and we need to begin to, you know, get everybody involved, including us, working together to uh, provide that infrastructure. And that's what will form the basis of a good. Uh, zero emissions future for our country. At the time of that ZEV mandate announcement just before Christmas, uh, you also called on the government, and I'm quoting now, to continue offering Canadians financial support to bridge the transition and achieve the ZEV sales target goals. Are you talking about bigger rebates from the federal government? Because we're at $5,000 right now. We've heard some lobbyists call for uh, that to be bigger, as much as $10,000. The state's is 7500 which if you throw in exchange rate, as you know, is about $10,000. Does that rebate need to be bigger? Is that what you're asking for? No. No, okay. I'm saying uh, put the money into infrastructure, and you don't have to put that much into it. I, I don't think this is all about uh, government subsidies. I think it's about government mandates, right? You're You're telling us to build them, right? But like I said, it's not the field of dreams where you build it and they come. So you got to now look at the other aspects of what it takes to support those uh, zero emission vehicles. And, uh, you know, additional mandates going into all those different areas I discussed uh, previously, I think would give us the ability on a showroom floor to explain to a customer how to get their, their vehicles charged. And once they're confident in that, they'll be confident in making the, the, the purchase of a, a BEV. I have an EV, I drive one right now, but I also next to it have a, a, a nice vehicle because when it comes down to certain trips, I am not confident I can get it charged. And there's a lot of other aspects such as ensuring that the chargers are always operational, ensuring that the, the people, the, I mean, imagine all the employees we can put in place to support that infrastructure and that the jobs that would be created. So I think, we, and you know, we tend to look at change through kind of a negative uh, tone and, 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 and negative glasses. And I think if you remove those glasses and that tonality and you think positively and you realize that there's only so, many, so much fossil fuel that we can extract, eventually it runs out. 
what are we going to do as a society to make a difference? And at, at the minute you start thinking and looking through those glasses, you see great opportunity with not just reducing GHG and, and creating a better uh, environment for the future, but you also think about the economic opportunities that exist out there. I mean, we're going to be employing, you know, thousands of people very shortly once our uh, our plant gets up and operational. And and even some of my competitors now who have made commitments and are beginning to build plants, these are going to create new jobs. And I think that's that's what's going to drive our economy forward, not just our environment uh, into a better place. Economy is a good segue into this next question. I wanted to talk to you about affordability in general, not just uh, ZEVs. A couple of weeks ago, Ryan Robinson of Deloitte told me that the average monthly car payment in Canada is somewhere between $750 and $800. And yet, according to a recent Deloitte report, most people currently looking for a new car expect to only pay $500 a month. Is there an affordability issue in Canada right now when it comes to buying new cars? Yeah, there is. Absolutely. Um, and first and foremost, as interest rates have gone up, our industry is starting to see pressure on, on pricing. Uh, we were looking just yesterday at the uh, incentives that are being offered right now, and they're beginning to increase, which means already we're seeing adjustments being made to to address affordability. But the, the one issue that does the most good when it comes to affordability is economies of scale. And when you're only selling 10% of your vehicles as EVs, which is the biggest concern I think that we hear about, you know, the EVs are too expensive, even with the subsidies, when you add in the higher interest rates. You know, that that is a, a concern that could only be addressed through economies of scale. And I don't just mean Hyundai. You know, we're, we're doing our part. We're going to be building at a rapid pace. But the industry needs to move in that direction, because when we talk about making batteries and building these cars, the resources required to do that, that that's not an individual company issue. It is an industry issue. And the more the entire industry gets behind zero emissions, the more cost effective it's going to be to get the materials to build these vehicles, which is going to bring the price down. So it, it's all a matter of we as an industry moving in this direction we will achieve greater economies of scale if we do so, and we will see much more affordable vehicles in the future, you know, provided interest rates don't continue to skyrocket, which offsets some of the good progress that we've made already. So yeah, no crystal ball on that one. I, I had a Detroit three dealer tell me, and this is still about affordability, that he's concerned about affordability as well. Because those brands are so intently focused on the high-priced, high-margin trucks and SUVs that North Americans love. Um, they might be pricing themselves out of the market, generally speaking, because people just can't afford those big trucks and big SUVs. He said the middle price range is being taken up by Hyundai, Kia, Nissan. Name those three off the top of his head. Do you smell blood in the water here uh, from where you sit? Is there a major opportunity for your brand to make hay in that sort of mid-range uh, entry level, a little higher than entry level price uh, segments. No, I think entry level. I think okay. that we see an opportunity. I think uh, I know one of our competitors also is uh, making noise about going in that same direction. Uh, I can't discuss our future product plans, but I can tell you this is on our list, and uh, we want to make sure that EVs are affordable for everybody. If not. This isn't going to work, right? So, I mean, we have to be able to uh, 
to do that. But at the same time, selling cars and losing money is a bad proposition as well. Right? Sure. It takes takes money to build these things and to, to put these plants in place. So uh, ultimately, it still comes down to economies of scale, and it isn't something Hyundai alone can do. Um, so we're going to have to see there are still quite a few manufacturers that have yet to really introduce a zero emissions vehicle in the market. And uh, they're still relying on combustion engines. And and so are we. I mean, we make combustion engines and EVs, but we are trying to tip the balance over to the EVs as quickly as possible. But that would go a lot faster if we saw everybody moving in this direction. And maybe that's a utopia that uh, will not exist until uh, we get the infrastructure in place and, and maybe some of the other manufacturers eventually uh, understand that this is where the future lies, but uh, it, it's going to take all of us working together to get those prices down by getting those economies of scale up. Last question or, or subject here, that Deloitte report that I referenced, um, it appears younger consumers anyway, who can't afford that average transaction price of which is about $50,000 an hour monthly payments of you know $800 are willing to give subscription services another try. I thought they were dead. Uh, are subscription <laughs> services back on the table now for younger or first-time uh, car buyers or those who can't afford what's currently being offered? Yeah, I, we're working on that down in the States. Uh, we, we're working on a number of different initiatives to try to get the uh, the pricing down. But, I mean, there, there isn't a silver bullet on this one, Greg. There isn't. I don't believe subscription services in and of themselves are going to be the answer. They could be part of the solution. Uh, we've looked at them and haven't come up with a way to make that work here in Canada. So I, I, I really don't have an answer to that other than I think there's going to be a number of different options from uh, leasing longer term uh, to maybe some subscription, maybe coupled with even longer term financing. But, but all of those really are secondary to being able to produce more of these vehicles at a higher economy of scale, to bring the pricing down so we can get the batteries more affordable so that we can get these, these vehicles into the hands of every, every Canadian. And it's all about economies of scale. So I think the bigger issue is let's get everybody on board, first of all. Let's make sure everybody is going after a zero emissions future. And again, whether you think it makes absolutely no sense from a, a climate perspective, if that's your position, at least look at the simple fact that's indisputable. There's on, only so much that we can extract from the ground and burn. And eventually it runs out. So again, it's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of when. And when is now? Let's, let's do it now so that we don't end up into a crisis where suddenly there's just no more fossil fuels. And yeah, maybe it's 100 years from now. But 100 years from now, we need to take responsibility for that right now. And so let's start now so we don't get into that position. And for those of us that believe this is also extremely important for the climate, you know, there's another reason to get busy with it. So, you know, for me, it's just a matter of advocating for the industry, not just for Hyundai, which is doing the right thing, but for the whole industry to get on board. And let's get these zero emission vehicles cranked up and let's see the uh, the economy and the environment improve because of it. Don, it's been too long since you've been on the podcast. Uh, I forgot how great the conversation is. I appreciate it. Greg, it's always good talking to you. And uh, 
Good luck at the next uh, basketball game. I hope that your team wins. <laughs> Sorry Absolutely. about the Lions, buddy. I, ah. I, I was there with you. I, was <laughs> I right appreciate there with that. You. I appreciate I, I'm, that. I'm depressed. I'm a Bill fan, and I'm depressed from that. Oh, too, but, kindred spirits yeah. then, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, well, Don. We'll just have to make do with uh, Taylor Swift's team and, uh, and, and the 49ers. You so got it. We'll, we'll have a good Sunday. You got it. I'd like to thank Don for being my guest this week. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.